The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Again, Jesus is a storytelling God. He tells us these parables. And these stories are not stories of actual events. You know, we see several of these parables in chapter 13. They're parables, and parables are stories that are taken from real life, real life situations from which we are to draw this real moral or spiritual truth that comes from it. And therefore, parables by nature are not meant to be read attempting to to make sense of every word or every detail or every nuance of the story. Rather, when we read a parable, we should come maybe drawing just one or two or a couple or few spiritual truths uh, that we should, we should glean from them. And Jesus doesn't use a single parable in chapters 1 through 12 of Matthew. And in 13, in chapter 13, there are eight. And so we don't, we don't see Jesus telling stories like this at all. And then he gets to chapter 13, and that's all he does. And of all eight of them, uh, this is the one big theme in the parables. It's the kingdom of God. A way of summarizing the kingdom of God is like this. It is the reign and rule of Jesus over all of creation. Maybe you've heard of the kingdom of God and language like that before, and maybe it's, maybe it's brought a little confusion, uh, wondering how, what is the kingdom of God when it speaks of the kingdom? Well, it just means this. It's, it, it's talking about the rule of Jesus over all things, all things seen and unseen, how it will come about and, and what his rule is. It's an exhaustive and, and comprehensive rule over all things in all of creation. It is the end of compartmentalized living, thinking that there are sacred things and there are common things, thinking that there are things that God cares about and things that God doesn't care about. The kingdom of God means that he cares about it all because it is all his, and he rules over it all. And so Jesus tells us a parable so that we can understand well, how does it work? How does the kingdom of God work, and how does it function in our lives? And how does it function in our life today before we are, are ushered into that forever kingdom with God forever? How does it, what does the kingdom look like now? Because Jesus, when he came and started his public ministry, he said, the kingdom of God is coming, and, and behold, it has come. So the kingdom is already, it's already here, and yet there's something about the kingdom that, we are, that we're longing to see. And so these parables and all of them, they follow this storyline. There's this, the birth of the kingdom. There's Satan's desire to thwart God's kingdom and his plan. There's the attitude of those who seek God's kingdom and desire to maintain faithfulness in the midst of Satan's plans. And then finally, there's Jesus' victory over Satan's evil plans once and for all. I mean, the, the story of every parable and the storyline of these parables is like every epic movie we have ever seen. There's the introduction of good, there's the protagonist in the story. There's a conflict with evil. There's the plan of rescue. And then there's the once and, for all, once and for all defeat of evil. I mean, this is every epic novel and story that we have ever seen. And the secret of grasping everything in, that we need to know about the kingdom is, is in the seed, is in understanding the seed of the kingdom. The seed is the key to it all. If we understand the seed and what it represents and what it is and what it means and how it works in our life, we will understand how the kingdom works in our world and in our life. It is the key that unlocks every door. It is the key that unlocks every problem. Every confusion in this life is made 
clear when we understand the seed of the kingdom that desires to take root in our lives and to bear fruit. The kingdom of God is like a seed, as Jesus says. It's not like a, like a boulder. It's not like a bulldozer. The kingdom doesn't come breaking down the door and it says, you're all going to die. You need to believe in Jesus. And we say, okay, we believe in him. And, and then it says, okay, great. Well, that's all we came for. It's not this boulder that rushes into our life and destroys everything in our life and radically changes us all in one instant. It is like a seed that is quiet and subtle and changes us from one degree to another. It's more like a seed and less like an entrance exam into the Christian life. A lot of us think of that. The kingdom of God is like this entrance exam. If we, if we pray the prayer or if we say a few things or acknowledge a few truths, then, then that's what we needed. Then now we are in the kingdom. But Jesus says, you know, it's, it's less like that. It's less like this violent boulder that comes in and, and changes the ground. It is like a seed that is planted and changes the ground from within. Let me show you how important this is to understand. Have you ever asked yourself, or have you ever wondered, God, I, I thought that I was your child. I thought that I was your beloved child. Why is there such chaos and sorrow in my life? God, I thought I belonged to you, and I thought all those things about that you've told me in the Bible, that you're a good father, that you care for me, that you know the plans for me, plans not to harm me, but plans to bless me. And why are all these things happening in my life if those things are true? Have you ever wondered, like, God, I believe this message. I believe the gospel. Why is it that I'm so slow at changing? God, I've been a Christian for 20 years, and there are still things in my life that grieve me about how I act and how I think and how I feel that are so unbecoming of a Christian. Maybe you have felt, God, I trust in Jesus and I have forsaken much that I considered to be in my life a sin and rebellion. God, what are you waiting for? Just do it already. Just perfect me. Just make me better. Have you ever felt that before? I know I've felt that at many times in my life. Take away my doubt. Take away my disbelief. Take away my sorrow. God, I'm a Christian. I thought this is what was going to happen. Take it all away. Take away my daily struggle with sin. I'm ready for it. If you've ever felt those things, Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. And so Jesus is saying, why don't you lean in for a second? And Jesus replies, that's not how any of this works. That's not how this works. God, I'm a Christian. I, I believe in you. I trust in Jesus. What's, what are we waiting for? Take me to heaven. Life is, life is too hard. Why is it still hard? I believe in Jesus. And he says, that's not how the gospel works. That's not how the kingdom of God works. And so do you see, sometimes it's just our, our lack of understanding of how God works and how the gospel is meant to shape our lives that causes us to be so distraught and frustrated in life, that causes us to doubt him when our experiences don't match up with, with, with his promises, with our circumstances in life don't match up with how we hoped it would go, we say, well, could it be all wrong? Maybe God isn't who he said he was, and he would say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's not how it works. And so let's understand the kingdom. Let's understand how the kingdom works in our lives and in our hearts. The seed, Jesus says, it comes in a seed. The gospel comes like a seed that is planted. The seed is the gospel. It's the good news of the kingdom. And the soil is the human heart. That is what Jesus is wanting us to see here, that the gospel comes. The gospel comes into our lives, and it takes root in our hearts. And there are different ways to accept, to receive, or to reject, or to rebel, or to be confused by this good news. 
And we respond to it in so many different ways. The seed of the kingdom is the gospel that comes to us as an odd message that the king, the king of the king, the king over all of creation, has come and died for his servants. This is the good news. And because the king did this, by trusting in him, we would be heirs in his kingdom. We would be adopted sons and daughters in his kingdom. There's a message that the kingdom does not come to us by merit or character or record, but by the grace of God. The story of God's kingdom is a strange story and different from the story of the world's kingdom. In this kingdom, in this earthly kingdom in which we live, we rule by becoming strong and powerful and wealthy and people of position. But in Jesus' kingdom, in God's kingdom, we rule not by being rich in money, but by being poor in spirit. You see, recall the Beatitudes that Jesus says, blessed are the people who are like this. Blessed are, these are the people, the characteristics of the people who belong in the kingdom of God. We rule not by being proud in our accomplishments because of what we've done. We rule not by being proud of our resume and our credentials, but humble and meek in our achievements. We rule not by exercising power over our enemies, but by repaying evil with good and, and, and those who mock us with prayer. We rule not by craving worldly possessions, but by hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Do you see, this is a story of contrast. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world are in opposition to one another. And how we go about earning our favor and position in the kingdom of the earth is so different than how we go about having our favor in the kingdom of God. And God would tell us, the Bible would tell us that this ridiculous story will one day be the story of all of, of, that rules over all of creation. It will be the story that everyone knows, and it will be the story that wipes away every sorrow and every tear and every sadness, and it will last forever. This ridiculous story that the king has come and died for his, 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 the, the servants, that by trusting in him, they would be heirs in that kingdom and rule with him not by an exercise of power, but by an exercise of humility. The emphasis in this parable is on the various kinds of hearts, of how these hearts reject or listen to Christ's message, the gospel message that will rule the entire world. And it's only by listening to the gospel and applying it that we actually grow, where this seed actually comes into our heart, takes root, finds a, a soft place, and grows in our life. The only way that you and I will grow as followers of Jesus, is by the message of Jesus being listened to, understood, grasped, and relied upon. Are you hearing? Are you understanding? Are you taking this story? You know, I know that that sounds like the conclusion. I'm not going to pray now. We're not done. I know that that sounds like the end of the sermon by asking that question, but I want to start with it as well. There, there is a key that unlocks every door to every problem. There is a key that unlocks your feelings of doubt and insecurity and fears, your feelings of struggle with sin in your life. There is a key that unlocks it all, and it's the message of Jesus that ought to take root in our heart. Are you listening to it? Do you understand it, and are you receiving it? And do you take this story in, and are you being shaped by it in all that you do? That's a good question, because the gospel is such a powerful seed. And so it's such a powerful change agent that it will transform your life and the universe completely. It's like a seed that goes into the ground and breaks the ground. 
Have you ever seen a broken sidewalk and just a single blade of grass or a single plant coming up from it? This seed that finds its way under the, under the concrete and it splits open concretes. It lifts up sidewalks. It lifts up foundations of houses. It breaks through iron pipes in the ground. This is what the gospel does in our hearts. And in the world's kingdom, you will thrive if you market yourself, if you beat the competition, if you close the sale, and if you rise to the top. These are the means of our growth in the kingdom of the world. But in the kingdom of God, you'll thrive and your power will come by simply being able to listen, by understanding, and by taking in the message of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And at first, it seems very weak. At first, the seed seems very weak and tiny and insignificant. But when planted in good soil, it will transform the soil completely. The gospel must pierce our heart. And if it does, and when it does, we will never be the same. And so the emphasis in this parable and the various kinds of soils, the various kinds of hearts, and how they reject or receive the message of Jesus. And it's going to be another, we're going to get into this now, it's going to be another passage, another story, another another scripture in Matthew where I think will give us a certain kind of sober thinking about our lives. This sober passage where we are actually thinking about our life and the work that God's doing in our life. And this is a good time for just a gut check on our life where we ask good questions about God's work in our life and the witness of God's work in our life and our faithfulness and desire to obey and listen to his word. And I hope we can all do that this morning. Well, there are four soils upon which the seed are cast, and all, types of, uh, all four types of soils receive the same seed. They hear the same gospel, and yet there are four different responses or, or causes of responses among the people who hear. And I imagine that we have among us this morning all types, all four types of soils. What I mean by that, I, I imagine you will find yourself identifying with each of these four different types of soils. We're not all in the same place. We're not, we're not all receiving the gospel in the same place. We may not all be Christians. We may not all be confident of God's love for us. We may have heard the message, and yet we've rejected it. I don't know where you are, but I'm, it's safe to say that all four are probably representative, represented. And, he, and are you hearing and understanding and taking it in? Has the gospel changed you? Let this, let this parable be your test. Let it be the judge. Let it possibly be a warning for you to hear God's message in a new way for the first time. And so let's look at them one at a time. First, let's look at the seed along the path. The seed that is cast along the path is the seed of the gospel that falls on a hard heart. Can you picture this ground? Can you picture what this ground looks like? The seed that is cast along the path. It's, it's hard. It's baked by the sun. It is well-traveled. It is a place where people just trample on, and it's cracked. It is that hard ground in the desert. You know what that desert feels like. You know what it looks like. It is just, there's nothing growing on it. It's hard because it's been traveled by thousands of people. There's no shade for many, many years. A type of person whose heart, whose heart is hard to the word of God is the type of person described in the first chapter of Romans. Although they, the, the gospel and the good news of God can be known to them, this person suppresses the truth. Although they can see the characteristics of God plainly as it's been revealed to them in nature and through others, they suppress the truth. They reject, reject the truth. Hearts become hard because of sin. 
hearts become hard because sin leads to two things. One, it leads to us suppressing the truth and ignoring the truth, and then that leads to just more sin. You see, it's just a, a vicious cycle. When we suppress the Word of God and fail to listen to it, it breeds a, a desire to continue to reject the Word of God. And so instead of hearing God's Word and repenting of sin, this person hears God's Word and consults with others, weighs their options, tests the culture, considers their personal stake in it, and comes to a final conclusion that is always opposed to God and His Gospel. For this person, the message of Jesus is one message among a hundred different messages. In one respect, the path looks like a great place to find truth, doesn't it? You look at this path and you say, well, that's, that's where everybody's going. If you're new to a city or new to a building or new to maybe a convention center or uh, even new to a, a new town, you don't know where to go. You, you kind of look at where everyone else is going. How do I get into this place? And you see the traffic of people going in. You say, well, I'm just going to follow them and go in. So in one respect, looking at the past, says, this is the perfect place to cast the seed. This is where everyone is. And yet just because everyone is there doesn't mean that it is the, the way to go. Just because it is the popular idea of our time and of our culture, just because there's a majority belief that this is truth does not mean it is truth. It could be a hard place. It could be a hard heart. It could be a lie. Everyone's traveling this way. It must be the right way. And this works most of the time in the kingdom of the world, but it doesn't work in the kingdom of God. And Jesus even points this out in Matthew 7. He says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter, it, enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. You see, it's upside down in the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom of the world, it says, yes, the, the, yeah, go, this path that is worn is probably because this is the, the best way to go. But in the kingdom of God, he says, many will enter to, through the path of destruction, the gate of destruction, but few few will enter through the path that leads to life. The person with the hard heart says, I know God's word, but, but this. See, it's a dangerous thing to put the word but where God puts a therefore. This is what God's word says, therefore, this is what I will do. A hard heart says, I know this is what God's word says, but here are all the reasons that make it difficult for me to submit to that, to repent of my sin. Here are all the things, uh, all the reasons why Following that as it is written and given to me makes it really hard, and I'm not sure it even seems reasonable. The birds come, he says, and snatches it up. It's easy to spot. Another way of saying this is if you're looking for a reason for the unreasonableness of God's word, I promise you're going to find it. If you and I are always, if we are reading God's word, looking for a way out and an opportunity to avoid God's word, you will find it. And the evidence that there is a way out doesn't mean that, that that's, that's the right way to go. Someone will, someone will give you permission. Someone will convince you. Someone will justify your desire to not follow God's word because it is confronting. It's hard. It's difficult. And so a bird comes and snatches it up because we make it readily available for them. Kingdom always means the rule of God in our heart. And this kind of heart doesn't want to be ruled by God. And so when the truth is preached to this kind of heart, they oppose it because the heart doesn't want to listen to God. They don't want to come under the sovereignty of God. They don't want to, to be ruled by God. Remember, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of ruling and sovereignty where God says, I am in charge. Everything belongs to me, but I'm good and I love you and this is what I've created you for. And there's something in our hard heart that says, but I don't want to be ruled. 
I don't want to be, I don't want my desires to be suppressed. I don't want to be uh, not in charge. And so we suppress the truth. Jesus came preaching that his right to rule in his people's hearts and minds, and this is the biggest hurdle for a hard heart, to give God full sovereign reign of our heart. The biggest hurdle for a hard heart is to say, God, my life is yours. Do with it what you please. It's a hard thing for a hard heart to say. This often manifests itself in the misunderstanding of God's word. Misunderstanding God's word is a restriction of freedom. There's so many rules in God's word. He wants to harm me. He doesn't want me to have a good life. He doesn't want me to have fun. If I follow Jesus, look at all the things I'm going to have to give up. If I follow Jesus' word, look at all this. How can you spot a real, true, genuine Christian? They're miserable. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. But we think this. We think that God's word takes away my freedom. It restricts my joy. But Matthew, and Jesus says this in Matthew 10, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Saying, good, go find your life, find your joy. And when you get there, out of your own wisdom, you will realize that your life is not worth living. But he who loses his life for my sake, he who comes under my rule and understands my love and sovereignty and my good news, it is then he or she will find their life for the first time. So it is with many today who reject Jesus because they love their life and don't want to lose their freedoms. They reject the gospel because they love their life. They love their life. Jesus even tells us in John chapter 3, he says that, The people love the darkness more than the light. They reject the word of God. They reject Jesus himself because they love their sin. They love their life. They love what they're doing. They love the pleasure it gives to them. And they don't want God to take it away. They love the darkness more than life. And so their hearts become hardened. And the good news comes and it's preached to them. And they suppress it. They oppose it. And it's snatched away. I recently heard a young man say, I really want to follow Jesus. I'm just not ready to give up the life that I know is sinful. I really look at all the things, and I once said this. I once said this as a freshman in college, and I went to my Bible study leader and I said, if I become a Christian, do I have to give up these things? Or I actually said, if I become a Christian, can I still do all of these things that I like to do? And the two words that changed my life that he said were, no, bro. No, bro, you can't. You've got to come under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ in your life. Do not harden your heart. You must be changed by it. So it is with the world today and our hearts today. Is that where your heart is? Do you love what Jesus says? Do you love his words? But really what you're saying is, but I'm waiting for a good time to give up the things I love. And you're hoping that Jesus will be patient with you. You're hoping. You're hoping that he understands those joys in your life that are sinful, and he's just going to be patient. If you hear his word today, don't harden your heart. So the book of Hebrews says over and over and over again, if you hear his word, don't harden your heart, because the birds will come and snatch it up. The devil will come and snatch that good news up, and then there will be a time where where you won't be able to hear it anymore. Well, he'll stop speaking to you, and it'll be too late. But let's move on to the second type of soil. The second soil is the rocky ground. This, the seed on the rocky ground is the gospel that falls on a shallow heart. 
a shallow heart. See, this seed has immediate activity. It springs up quickly with joy, lots of spiritual activity, gets involved in a life group, gives a lot of money to the church, begins to type, shares their faith at the grocery store and everywhere this person goes. But something tragic happens. At the first sign of struggle, because there's no root, this person retreats or falls away, or more literally, springs back, as the scripture says, springs back. See, this is particularly frightening, this kind of soil, because this person is a person who moves beyond the theory of Christianity. See, it's not the first person. This is a person who hears the word of God and, and listens to it. This is the person that receives it, who, who hears it and responds to it. And they move beyond the intellect of Christianity, and, is, and this is moved to their heart. And they begin to change their life based on the word of God. And Jesus appears to be changing their life and radically altering their motives and their passions and their desires. As soon as they begin to lose important things in their life, though, they say, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't the God I gave my life to. This isn't good news at all. And this shows that their experience was shallow. It was highly emotional, and they never really truly understood the nature of the kingdom of God and what it was meant to do. They were so excited for what Jesus could do for them, but as soon as their life didn't match their expectations for how it should go, they abandoned it, often blaming their circumstances on God or other people or just bad luck. If God loved me, this wouldn't happen to me. If God loved me, he wouldn't take this person from me. If God loved me, he wouldn't have caused me to lose this job. If God loved me, he would have brought a, a wife, a spouse along by now. So we say all these things. We say, God, is the first sign that my life doesn't match what I hoped it would. I don't know if I can trust you anymore. If you've, if you've been a Christian for a long time, I'm, I'm sure you know a lot of people like this. Um, friends from youth group or college or classmates you grew up with who appear to be models for the Christian life, ones that you have, were probably mentors for you, people that you looked to and loved. And, and now, as you follow their life, maybe on Facebook or social media, you see their lives, and, and they're not walking with Jesus at all. And you have wondered, what happened? How does that happen? And you're trying to figure out what's, what's going on there. I mean, well, these are hard questions, right? What happened? Did they, did they fall away? Were they Christians and they lost their salvation? Were they never Christians to begin with? What is happening there? Or maybe you're seeing that in your own life. Maybe you're seeing yourself that you were involved in so much healthy, good, spiritual activity. And now you're on the verge of just walking away from Jesus altogether. And you're trying to make sense of it. You're trying to make sense. How does that happen? How does my heart become on fire for God, and now I don't even know if I believe in him or not? I believe that this is what Jesus is talking about in this parable. In this soil, I think that this is, he's describing that situation. The heart of this person was genuinely enthusiastic, genuinely acknowledging their sin, but never transferring their trust to Jesus. Never transferring their trust to him. When they became Christians, they had hoped that Jesus would save them from a life of sorrow, a life of suffering, of loneliness, and, and, and that God would give them a life of joy and happiness and community. And, they, and they, they wanted a blesser. This person, this second heart, wants a blesser, but not a savior. They wanted relief from their sorrow, but they didn't want salvation. As long as Jesus was good to them, they gave allegiance to him. There was this unspoken contract as long as you continue to be the God I hope you will be, then my life is yours. But at the first sign, as Jesus says, the first sign that there is the sun comes up 
and there is struggle according to his word, the first sign that following Jesus causes them to have discomfort in life. They think, this is not the God I gave my life to. And it's here it exposes like this, what this person ultimately treasures. It's not Jesus. It's the gifts of Jesus. It's not Christ. It is, it is what he gives to them by association. It's the life they hoped that they would have. And when, they didn't, when he didn't deliver, they shrink back. And so let's, let's look at these first two in summary. There's the, there's the hard heart that is purely intellectual and therefore cannot understand the gospel because they uh, are listening to so many different voices. Their heart, their heart is hardened by sin. There's the shallow heart in the second soil that is almost purely emotional and therefore cannot understand the depth of the gospel. And then there's another heart, and that's the soil number three. The divided heart. What happens here? The seed among the thorns is the gospel that falls on a divided heart. See, it's easy to look at the first two soils and see that, you know, I'm not sure these people are Christian at all. And it's easy to look at the, the last scenario, which we'll get to, and say, this is a person with real, genuine faith. But the third one's really difficult. The third one is really difficult. We don't know what to do with it because these people, they take root, the seed falls on the soil, it takes root, and it grows. And the soil is good. They don't deny Jesus. They don't reject him. They're committed to Christ, but they don't see, but we don't see the fruit of God. There's no fruit. It bears no fruit. Why not? Because they have divided loves. Jesus says, because the thorns come in, the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches come in and choke it out so that it bears no fruit. Plants in this garden do not get choked out suddenly. They don't get choked out rapidly. They get choked out slowly. That's how it happens for this person. Friends, here, here's the warning, I think, for, for number three. Are you aware of the temptation and the allure of money and pleasure and personal glory that it has on your ability to hear and obey Jesus? Are you aware of the temptation of the world to make God's word just silent in your life? Are you aware that that is an ever-present temptation in your heart for the personal glory, the praise of man, the love of riches, the comfort of money, the pleasures of this world, whether it be sex or, or drug or substance or anything else, or even to sleep? Are you aware of how loving pleasure and loving anything above Christ is alluring and slowly creeps in to change your love for God. You know, these things, they creep in, and they're really, they're not threatening at first. They, they don't come out. They're, they're not these big, evident sins that just choke us out. They're subtle. Another characteristic of these thorns is that they're often very good things. That's the nature of deceitful things. Things that deceive us are partly true. They are partly and even mostly good. They're good things in the wrong place in our lives. Money, sex, power, pleasure, entertainment, all good things designed by God and, and God-ordained for our enjoyment. They become misguided when our desire to be a certain person or to have certain stuff or to feel a certain way become greater than our desire to know and to love Jesus. We're talking about a divided heart that is divided in their worship. Everyone worships something or someone, and one's life is a spillover of that, of that supreme love, that supreme worship. 
The third soil has a, has a God complex. The God complex happens when we take a good desire, maybe a desire to be loved, a desire to be adored, a desire to be wealthy or to desire to be happy, and we turn it in, in, into an idolatrous desire. And we call it a need. And we say, we need these things. We must pursue these things. So our desire to be loved by others becomes a need, and we take God and his glory out of the center of our lives, and we put that need in the center of our lives, and everything feeds that need. When we do this, we demand for people to notice us, for people to pay attention to us, to love us, to praise us. Here's another area of temptation that chokes our hearts. Are you ready? And I know, I know we got a small, it's a small weekend with the holiday and everything in the middle of summer, but this might make some of you leave <laughs> after this. Here's another area of temptation for the third soil, the temptation of busyness. Some of you are being choked out. Some of you, the word of God, the good news of the gospel is being choked out by busyness, the thorns of busyness. Jesus is not rebuking a full schedule. He's rebuking a full schedule filled with good things in the wrong places. If your life does not allow you to regularly worship with the family of God, then change is needed. If your life does not allow you regular fellowship and study of God's word with brothers and sisters in your life, then change is needed. If your schedule doesn't allow you to love your neighbor, change is needed. If your schedule, if you're missing out on deliberate personal time sitting at the Lord's feet through prayer and thoughtful study of his word to sit at his feet and listen to him, then change is needed. Listen to the pastor and author Tim Chester as he writes this in his book, You Can Change. God promises to meet our true needs, but we can't expect him to satisfy our selfish desires. God isn't a divine waiter ready to serve us whatever we want. God isn't the key to the good life, however we choose to define it. He defines the good life. He is the good life. God must be desired for his own namesake, not as a purveyor of worldly successes. You see, do we, have, do we understand the kingdom of God wrong? Do we understand it wrongly when we think that God is a, a waiter meant to serve us, a vending machine ready to give us what we desire? Now, without going any further, or with, because we can't end up we can't end up today, you know, without getting to the fourth soil, right? I mean, it's Father's Day and all, so I'd leave you guys with a smile. We, we have to, we can't end without getting to the obvious point of Jesus' parable. That all of these soils, the hard soil, you know, the divided soil, we, the, the, um, the soil that, 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 or the seed that falls on the path that gets snatched up because of sin, the soil that's just purely emotional and superficial and shallow, it all points to this final soil. It all is meant so that we can be pointed to this final soil. This isn't, this isn't a parable to just take inventory and say, well, that's where I am. I guess I'll just try to be less like that. All of this is meant to point us to the good soil. And that's lastly, the seed among the good soil is the gospel that falls on a receiving heart. The good soil falls on a receiving heart. What is missing in the first three soils? It's the transforming power of the gospel. These people may have all the answers, but there's an absence of a changed life, a life that is in full trust and submission to God. Their religion has all the right words, but it lacks transformation and power. You know, no doubt that this parable has caused your mind to wander. 
I know that, that that's kind of what it does. Wander into thinking about people in your life, family members, co-workers, high school, college, friends. Maybe thinking about other people in the church too, and you're like, that's why they do that, because they're, they're part of that soil. You know, inspecting the lives of others, being fruit inspectors, right? Looking for fruit in people's lives. That's not the purpose of this parable. This is not what this parable is about. This parable is telling us what the gospel is and how it works in our heart so that we would see it, receive it, understand it, grasp it, and allow God to do his work in our life that is good and glorious, that changes us from one degree of his grace to the next. The purpose of this parable is not to find out which compartment we fit in, but to listen to God and to be saved by it. It is all about the powerful, gracious work of the gospel to bring about God's transformation, his transforming purposes in our heart, in our lives, and in all of creation, and to be a part of that with joy. Worship leader Bob Coughlin says this, our first responsibility as a Christian is not to consider what to give to God but what to receive from him. This is what this parable is all about. It is not a parable to, to, for us to think about all that God needs from us and all about how we have to live our life in pleasure, in pleasing to him. This parable is to show us how we ought to be a receiving heart, how we ought to be good soil that receives this good news, this good seed of life. Throughout Scripture, you'll find this common activity of God. And what does it seem like God is doing all the most? You know, God should be a God who is out of breath because he is just chasing people all the time. He is pursuing people. He is running after sinners. He is initiating with people. And these people are not good people. God doesn't go to the good soil. God, he, he casts the, good, the seed. He casts the gospel out. He runs after sinners. This is a common activity of God pursuing sinners and telling them the good news. And he continues to invite us. He continues to tell us the good news today through his word. He's telling us the good news right now. Do you hear him? The life and death and resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate statement that God is the one who provides the good soil. And it's God who gives us a new heart. It's a parable about God providing good soil and for us receiving that. We've taught on this before, but remember the conversation between Jesus and Peter? It was our first study, our first passage uh, in the new year in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said to him, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Being a Christian is not something that comes naturally to us. Being a person who has good soil in our heart to receive God's word is not something that you and I are naturally inclined to have. We are the hard heart. The Bible tells us that, that we have a hard heart. It's a heart of stone. What's harder than a path that is just beat down by the stone? by the sun? How about a heart of granite, a path of granite? That's what God says our heart, our heart is like without the transforming power of his grace. It's something that's bestowed on us. A good soil is something that God bestows on us. It must be brought on from the outside into our life. 
Notice how Jesus so emphatically references Peter's earthly father and his heavenly father in one. Peter confesses Christ. He says, hey, you're, you're, you're my Savior. You're the Savior who has come to die for my sins. And he says, way to go, Simon, son of some guy named Jonah. He says, way to go, Simon. And he references his earthly father. He says, you were born once. You were born in an earthly way by an earthly father with flesh and blood. And if you continued on that path, you would continue to have a hard heart. But your Father in heaven has given you a new heart, enabling you to hear the good news, to receive it, and to be changed by it. This isn't a flesh and blood thing. You came in through this world through an earthly father, and you come into the kingdom of God through your heavenly Father. You see, there will always be, I understand the tension in this, of God doing his work in our hearts. There's always going to be two perspectives, our perspective and God's perspective, from Peter's perspective, imagine his perspective. And he says, well, you're Jesus, the Savior. And Jesus says, the Father gave, made this known to you. It didn't come from your own heart. See, from Peter's perspective, he might be thinking, well, what do you mean, Jesus? I've been following you around. I've been hearing you teach. I've been weighing the good and the bad. And I kind of connected the dots myself. I, kind of, I came to this conclusion that you are Jesus because of what you said. I've watched everything you did. I heard what you have said. And eventually, I put all the pieces together. And that's why I believed. But here, Jesus is emphasizing something ultimately. That, that wasn't a wrong perspective of Peter to feel that way. But Jesus is emphasizing a different perspective, that it always depends on grace. While there are many ways and many people who come into your life who can encourage you and speak the good news to you, and you and your understanding, you choose to believe in God to receive that gospel. Jesus is wanting us to know that only God is capable of doing that kind of work. Only God is capable of opening up that soil and aerating it and making it healthy and giving the nutrients needed and changing your heart so that you can receive the good news. To comprehend our desperate need for grace, for a Savior, and for the gospel to take root, to be sustained, and to bear fruit. Hear this, your ability to grasp anything of eternal value in Jesus is never based on your impeccable character or ability to reason your way through it or your heartfelt seeking after it or even your niceness. None of that made a difference. It was always the kindness of God. The gospel comes to us and it changes us. And if you remain unchanged, then what you have is a powerless gospel, which is no gospel at all. You haven't even received the gospel you haven't understood and listened and heard the gospel, the seed of the kingdom, and the kingdom of God has not come to you. But the gospel is for everyone. It is for every moment. It is for you right now. You are not beyond the reach of the good news to take root in your heart and to bring you salvation. You may be thinking, but, but I've been hard. But I've been overly emotional and not... Not and when hard things come in my life, I've abandoned God. I've rejected Him. I care a lot about the pleasures of the world, and I'm not bearing fruit, but I really want Jesus. You're not beyond the reach of the grace of God. You know, something good is this, is that you and I, we might think that we're bad, that we've sinned against God, but we're not as bad as we really... We're not as bad... We're not as bad... Wait, no, we're far worse than we think we are. That's it. We are far worse than we think we are. You think that you have rebelled against God, that you have had a hard heart, that you've suppressed the truth. You have no idea. It's even worse than that. But here's the good news. You're not beyond the reach of God. You can't outrun it. You cannot get beyond it. Your heart cannot be so hard that the gospel can't penetrate up. Are you listening, though? Are you hearing his word? 
Are you receiving it? His grace is for every moment, for every person. It is the good news about Jesus and the gospel is meant to be the central place in our life, in what we do and who we are and, and where we place our hope. If you hear his word today, don't harden your heart. Do not be superficial with him. Do not divide him among other things that you care about, but receive him. Trust in him. You see, fathers, you are you're an instrument. You're an instrument of the grace of God in the lives of your family and your children. You're not an instrument of making sure that you do everything perfectly because you've already failed. You're an instrument of shaping your kids' hearts to be able to receive the grace of God. And God has given you tremendous privilege and responsibility and calling to be able to tend to that soil, to work, to shepherd their heart, to receive this good news. That is where we are encouraged as dads. Our, our encouragement doesn't come from our ability to do everything right, to be perfect, to be on the spot, to not fail, to not raise our voices, to not misguide. Our ability is to be able to repent of our sin and to be a witness to our children that we are a receiving heart where God's work is never ending in our own life. That's the hope that you have. That's the encouragement that I want to give you to be that heart that is receiving the grace of God. You're never beyond its reach. You can never outlast the grace of God. You never get to a place in your life where you, need to, you don't need it anymore. So trust in him. Be patient. Rest in him. He's still working in your heart. Listen to him. Let's pray.